Hey, welcome to Plant Yourself. I'm your host, Howard Jacobson. Two quick announcements before we get to today's show. If you're interested in becoming a health coach, I'm offering another run due to popular demand for people who can't make 8 p.m. on Wednesday nights, Eastern Time. So we're doing another run of the program, which will meet the practicums will meet at 10 a.m. on Wednesdays, Eastern Time U.S., which means if you're in Europe or Africa, uh, that might be good for you. Also, if you're in the US and evenings aren't good and you have free time in the mornings, either 7 a.m. Uh, Pacific time or 10 to 1130 Eastern, then you can participate. If you want to find out more about becoming a wicked effective health coach, you can go to wellstartcoach.com. Second thing is, if you're not aware of it, Josh Lajani and I have a book that is free on Amazon Kindle. It's called Sick to Fit. And if you just go to Amazon and search for Sick to Fit, you'll be able to download it for free and read it on any Kindle enabled device, even a phone, smartphone, tablet, computer, whatever. All right, let's get to today's episode. This is the Plant Yourself podcast. I'm Howard Jacobson of plantyourself.com, the big change program and well start health. This podcast is part of my mission to help you live a graceful and great tasting life. Today's guest, Marcy Madrid, is Vice President of Planning and Marketing at Midland Memorial Hospital in Midland, Texas, which you can find on a map halfway between Dallas and El Paso. And for a fairly small health system out in the middle of nowhere, no offense, it's making a huge splash nationally with their embrace of lifestyle medicine to treat patients in a hospital setting. So when Midland decided to embrace plant-based nutrition as one of their pillars of their lifestyle medicine disease treatment protocol, Marcy Madrid was brought in to help spread the message, both internally to staff and to the larger community. What she didn't expect was to need that message herself and soon. Because shortly after joining the initiative in late 2015, which included the CHIP program and the introduction of plant pure meals for patients, Madrid started experiencing numbness in her lower body, and an MRI provided a diagnosis of multiple sclerosis, which, as you can imagine, was a huge shock to a young woman who fancied herself to be in good health. And at about this time, the hospital staff were being introduced to plant-based nutrition, to both the scientific evidence and the actual protocols that were going to be used to help their diabetic and cardiac patients. They weren't talking about autoimmune disorders such as MS, but Madrid was able to tap into the network of plant-based leaders and discovered through them the groundbreaking work of Dr. Roy Swank on multiple sclerosis. So when she'd gotten the diagnosis, she and her husband had prayed for divine intervention, and it seemed to them... <laughs> that it had been granted, not in the form of, you know, lightning bolts from heaven, but in the form of the plant-based initiative that was just being introduced at her place of work. After a month on MS meds, she quit them and went fully plant-based, as she remarks wryly in the conversation, just in time for Thanksgiving and all of the other challenging food holidays. Six months later, an MRI showed significant reduction in lesions almost to nothing, and her neurologist remarked that he had never seen that in a non-medicated patient. And to this day, she has little to no issues with MS. So in our conversation, we talk about both her own healing journey, her journey of faith and grace, and 
the amazing transformation that's in progress right now at Midland Health, a transformation that is having an effect in terms of lots of people watching all over the world to see if this can be done, to see if this small hospital system can, in effect, create a new business model for healing, one that is rewarded for helping people get better rather than penalized, as is the case today with so much of our insurance infrastructure. Before we get to the interview, a couple of quick announcements. First, a couple of weeks ago, I posted a question in which I'd bought a new microphone and asked people if they could tell the difference. And the overwhelming reply was return the microphone and buy $200 worth of kale instead. So that's what I did. And so now I'm recording back on Old Faithful, my $60 mic. And I am looking for better sound quality. And some folks have stepped forward to very generously help me brainstorm and troubleshoot my setup. But for now, we're back to the old thing. Second thing is just a brief update on WellStart Health, the startup that I co-founded earlier this year. As you may know, we've been doing a lot of direct-to-consumer marketing and service delivery through Josh Lajani and my big change program, which rolled into WellStart Health. What you may not know is that we're also working with organizations, with companies who are looking to significantly reduce their healthcare costs and help their sickest employees get better, if not get completely well. We all know about plant-based reversal of disease. The rest of the world doesn't really believe it's a thing yet. So if you're listening to this podcast and you have the ability and the authority to have a discussion with us about whether there's a segment in your workforce that could benefit from plant-based education, nutrition, coaching, support, all that... You can find out more at wellstarthealth.com or just reach out to me directly, Howard at wellstarthealth.com. All right, enough about that. Let's get to today's conversation with Marcy Madrid. So without further ado, Marcy Madrid, welcome to the Plant Yourself podcast. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here today. I've been looking forward to this conversation for a long time because you and your your organization, uh, Midland is doing just incredible work. So why don't, we, why don't we begin with you just introducing yourself and letting folks know what, what you do. Sure. Um, so I'm Marcy Madrid. I'm Vice President of Planning and Marketing for Midland Health, which is um, a system of healthcare partners in Midland, Texas, which includes um, Midland Memorial Hospital. Our, our hospital is the center of the operations, but we have several physician practices and long-term acute care facility we're partners in and some surgical centers. Gotcha. And so we're, we're having this conversation because Midland is, is kind of a leader in, um, I guess you'd say, sort of lifestyle uh, solutions. So I'm wondering, like, did that precede you or was that your baby? Well, I guess a little bit of both. Um, it's interesting because we had, I think this movement largely across the country has been largely physician-led because you have physicians that are returning to their passion of why they went into medicine to begin with and truly help people and heal people. Um, and that was certainly what we found here. We had a couple physicians, or actually we had one physician and his wife, um, Dr. State Notchery and his wife, Blythe, who had went to the first annual um, International Plant-Based Nutrition um, Healthcare Conference that Dr. Scott Stoll had helped found 
found, and I believe it was in Naples, Florida, several years ago. And I guess they'd heard about it um, and didn't know much. And they went to this conference and were just inundated with this wealth of information that they were oblivious to before that as far as diet, nutrition having such a large impact on health. And Dr. Autry is a uh, cardiothoracic surgeon, so it was certainly right up his alley and, and interesting to him and his practice and how heart disease could actually be halted and reversed with plant-based nutrition and lifestyle medicine. So he was definitely interested. He brought it back to Midland. Um, shared it with some of his colleagues and others in the community. A few other physicians began to listen to the message and got on board, and um, it really began spreading from there. Um, we had a couple physicians join with Dr. Autry um, and hosting Dr. Scott Stoll here and doing some grand rounds and a CME and doing a small event at a local church where they were just sort of sharing this message with the general population and seeing what the appetite was for it, how interested people were in it. And it was about that time that I started getting involved. Um, there was growing interest. We probably had about maybe four, uh, maybe five local physicians that had heard the message at this point uh, were very interested. This was in 2015. Um, and so they wanted to get hospital administration involved so that we could at least understand the information and the data that's out there and see how we could plug in and help support this. 2015 was the same year that Nelson Campbell was um, debuting Plant Pure Nation, um, it, the last film that he did, and he was doing live viewings across the country. And these physicians that were supporting it here locally had donated to the campaign and um, put us on the list for a live viewing location for the Plant Pure Nation documentary. So I was brought in not just from a hospital strategic planning initiative and thinking about how lifestyle medicine could eventually maybe be gradually incorporated into our, our model, but also um, for my marketing and PR part of, of my world to help um, plan some type of event around the Plant Pure Nation live viewing that the hospital would help support and, and put on. So that's how I was brought in. It was uh, on the really ground floor of the conversations and how the hospital could help support this and, and promote it. It fit really well within our mission and our vision, which had just been um, reestablished the year prior, 2014. We went through a, um, a cultural sort of rebirth and a reorganization to think of who we are and why we're here and what's our purpose and what should be driving us as far as guiding principles. And we realized that our mission um, would be to lead healthcare for Greater Midland. We're the only hospital in Midland. So if there is a healthcare need that is not being met in this area, whether it's in our direct business line or not, it's our responsibility to bring the right people to the table, to lead the efforts, to um, help fund the initiative, whatever it would be, because if we don't do it, no one else would. So we'd already reestablished that mission with a vision to make Midland the healthiest community in Texas. That happened in 2014. So when we were approached in 2015 from an executive um, perspective with this data and this sort of growing national movement, we really couldn't deny the um, 
how well this fit into our mission and our vision. If we're going to improve people's health, um, you know, you, you would be remiss if you left the, the impact of lifestyle medicine and food as medicine out of that equation and making sure people were educated and aware of the power they have at the end of their fork. Um, so that's when my role and my department really got involved in this movement and, and looking to how we could um, make our community more aware, not just through hosting the live viewing of Plant Pure Nation, but also how do we incorporate this into our business model? If we're promoting this in the community, what does it look like when someone shows up at the hospital? Well, you know, you let hear me, the stories. Well, let, me, let, me, let me stop you there for a bit because there's a lot okay. I want to unpack. And wanna, okay, sure, and definitely, sure. Definitely go into, the, into how it got incorporated. First of okay. all, what tell tell me about the community in Midland, Texas. If you were to, you know, paint them with a broad brush, what 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 would you say about like who who they are? This is a really interesting, dynamic community. It's very progressive. Um, you know, people think of this as cattle country or oil oil country, um, and and that's true to an extent. But the reason that this particular area of Texas has been so lucrative and so um, successful in the oil and gas business and, and ranching and all these other areas is because you have a lot of people that are um, have this pioneer spirit that are very progressive and they're their ideas of of success and technology, and they're always looking for better answers and new solutions to old problems. And this this area has really grown because of that, and because of the success that has come from this area. There's a lot of um, a lot of philanthropy that goes on in this area. There's a lot of support for new initiatives and and more progressive movements again that bring new solutions. So it's the kind of it's a very um, rare culture where you know people are willing to pull up their sleeves and 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 get to work and and come up with uh, new ways to do old things better and better solutions to problems and how do we keep progressing and moving forward um, and and it's okay to think of 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 change culturally when it comes to that if it's going to move us forward as a community and there's a lot of financial support for that kind of thing so I, I think it's it's a, a very um, rare spirit and culture that that we have here where you can start movements like this and if you can justify it you can find support for it and you can move forward and I think so what, our, are, what are the um, what's the population health like our population health movement well just like what's you know like how would you you know, is, you know, is it more like Alabama or more like Boulder, right? Like, you know, in terms of what, what, what's the, um, you know, the demographics of health and, and disease in the community? What, what are we looking at in terms of oh, okay. like, types of services people require? I gotcha. So, um, well, if you look at the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation's metrics on healthiest communities in Texas, which is what we look at often as a way to measure our progress to making it a healthier community, um, we are right around... Uh, the uh, high 30s, I think 38 or 39 out of 100 or 230 counties in Texas. Our neighbors um, 30 miles down the road are 100 and something. So um, at least in Texas, we're towards the top of the list as far as healthy communities. Um, but with a large um, amount of our business coming from the oil and gas industry, water qual quality, air quality is an issue out here. Um, you know, traffic deaths is, is high on our, our health rankings as issues as issues because we have so much oil and oil field traffic out here. So when you look at um, like causes of death, you know, and, 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 
causes for different sicknesses and disease. You know, upper respiratory illnesses are really bad out here because we have a lot of dust and, um, you know, things going on in the air. So those types of things that are a little outside of our control, um, we struggle in. But we have incredible health care in this community specifically because of the philanthropic, philanthropic support we've had for health care in this hospital. Um, our hospital started as a private hospital that was built by, based on a group of locals who raised the money to build a hospital after the war had ended because they, well, they wanted a hospital for their um, soldiers to return home to. And it was built off of local funds. It turned into a county hospital um, years later. But those same local families that helped build the hospital in 1949, the generations now that are still living still support our hospital financially. There's a tremendous support for health care and for progressive health care and for reinvesting in the health care system here locally. So I think that's allowed us to be a little bit more advanced and progressive. We just built a nine-story tower in 2012. We've got a lot of the um, latest and greatest uh, technology here like that you would find in, in larger cities. So as far as healthcare interventions and hospitals, um, we, we have a lot here. We have a, a lot available. But um, So I've, I'm curious about how it began. You said Dr. Autry and his wife, you said? There were two doctors? Well, his wife's a nurse. A nurse. Okay. Uh-huh. So the, the Autrys went to... Um, to see, I guess, the Plantrician Conference or whatever it was called. when, right. when the Scott first began. annual one. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I hear that story a lot about a doctor will go and accidentally or somehow serendipitously discover the power of lifestyle. And, they, and, and here's how the story diverges. They will come back and talk about it with their colleagues and get completely stonewalled and right. feel marginalized and frustrated and it's, that's not a happy ending. What what was different in this case? I think, um, you know, they probably still faced that to some degree. I think the difference in our area is that with as many people that they faced that sort of stonewalled them or, or ignored them, there was at least enough others like myself and, and a few of the other physicians that um, – connected with the message and the information and realized that this is really what healthcare is about and and this message could really impact so many people's lives. Um, and I mean, you can't deny the data and the research. It's just a matter of if you're ready to accept it in your own life, because, you know, there's a cognitive dissidence issue there that I've spoken about at some of the conferences I speak at. You know, for someone to accept that this information is true and valid, you have to accept that it's true and valid for yourself or you're going to have this cognitive dissidence. And to accept it's true and value for your, valid for yourself means in a lot of cases, you're going to have to make some pretty dramatic changes in your own personal life to be able to live a life that is congruent with the things that you are believing. Do you know what I mean? It's kind of like the whole smoking revolution. You know, you, you have to accept if you're a smoker, that smoking's bad, which means you have to stop smoking or you're, you're going to have to find an excuse to think of why smoking isn't really bad for you. It's the same thing with this food revolution. So I think you have people that are confronted with the data and information and they're either ready to accept it for themselves and find a way to reevaluate their own lives and their decisions and move forward in a way that allows them to share the message with others, or you're not ready to accept this fact and change your own behaviors in life. So you kind of find a way to dismiss it and devalue it. So you don't have to accept that yourself. 
um, yet. So I think I think you had enough people that again had that pioneer spirit, that progressive mentality here in Midland, that really recognized the data, realized it was true and valid, and there wasn't a lot of ways to to dispute it. And then you know began making their own personal changes in their own lives, realized the difference, and and sort of got on board to move it forward. And there's strength in numbers. That's why some of these grassroots movements are so effective because if you get enough people on board and enough people with enough influence on board, you can really start changing the course of, of the direction you're heading as an organization or as a community, um, you know, in a really effective way. And I, I think that's what happened here. My so own did, personal. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say my own personal in, involvement in, in my journey really sparked the fire in me to push this forward um, as aggressively as I could because I saw the impact it had on my own life. And I think there were several, other, several others like me that had a personal reaction to this, a personal commitment, and professionally it kind of set us on fire to, to really push this forward and make a difference. So I'm, I'm curious whether you think there's anything that the Autrys did that was really smart in terms of, you know, reducing potential for cognitive dissonance or pushback. And I know, you know, every, all of us can can resist based on cognitive dissonance. In my experience, medical professionals have a lot more tools of resistance, mental resistance, <laughs> right, than, yeah. than the average person. They're they're they are more, you know, they have been they've you know they have a lot of skin in the game and a lot of sunk mm-hmm. costs into mm-hmm. a model of healthcare that you could look at from a plant-based, from a lifestyle perspective and say, you guys are, are dealing with the marginalia of, of, mm-hmm. of health and disease rather than the core. Like what, what did right. the Autrys do that, that, that you think, you know, may have worked well? I think one thing that helped is that um, Dr. Staten Autry, our cardiothoracic surgeon, was very well respected, very highly esteemed and respected in his in his career and his practice, um, we brought him in from Austin. He was very highly esteemed when he came from Austin. So, you know, when you have someone that 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 is that respectable and knowledgeable and has a lot of expertise and is presenting the information in a very compelling way, it's hard to not at least be convinced or or start listening. And I think because of the respect he had of some of his peers, um, they couldn't help but listen to him and and take what he was saying seriously. And he. I think one thing that helped is he, the people that he got on board early, uh, other physicians, were also very respected in their field or their area. So when they spoke, you know, others listened. You know, you, you have those physicians that have just been around for a while. They've gained a lot of respect. Um, and so people pay attention more when they're talking or when they're promoting a certain idea over the other. So I, the core of physicians that started this were all very highly respected and to be trusted. And, and again, they were leaders um, in their different areas. Dr. Padmaja Patel was one of the first followers or, you know, the first people within the movement. Um, And she also was very well respected, very connected. Her husband is a a very busy gastroenterologist. Um, They're very connected in the physician community here locally. Um, And and so for them to start promoting it to their peers, it just just began to grow and grow. Mm -hmm. Wow. And so so you mentioned your own personal journey? Where where did you discover this? Well, so it was in 2015, I think around August, when I started to be brought into the, some of the planning meetings. We were starting to talk about a lifestyle medicine clinic and um, doing CHIP for employees, doing the plant pure nation. Just a bunch of ideas were on the table of, you know, where could we just get our 
dip our toes in the water and get our feet wet without, you know, doing anything dramatic. Um, inpatient meals, cafeteria food, just little things like this. Um, well, around the same time, I was having some numbness in the lower part of my body and um, ended up going to a, getting referred to a neurologist, got an MRI, and got diagnosed with MS. This was literally happening within the same weeks that I was being brought into these meetings talking about plant-based nutrition and food as medicine. Of course, in those meetings, um, we were talking largely about our diabetic and our um, our cardiac disease population because that's the, the two number one things that we deal with in our area is diabetes and heart disease. So we weren't talking a lot about autoimmune disorders at that point. Uh, so I didn't make the direct connection, but by being plugged into and connected to a lot of these national leaders as we were trying to promote this locally, Dr. Scott Stoll, Nelson Campbell, um, and others, I began to learn about the body of research that was out there around um, MS patients specifically that Roy Swank did and, and some of the autoimmune disorders. So, you know, my husband and I were talking about it and praying about it and, and you know, thinking this was a little serendipitous, you know, a little, hmm. um, you know, divine intervention that this is happening at the very same time. Um, I took medication for about a month and just began to felt, feel worse and deteriorate. So after, like I said, much prayer and discussion with my husband from a family perspective, um, we decided that I would go full on plant-based, try it out. I'll be the guinea pig um, and switch off medication and go fully plant-based. That was no, that was late October of 2015, just in time for Thanksgiving and the holidays and all the food <laughs> holidays of the, of the year. Um, and it was about six months after that, I got referred to UT Southwestern in, in Dallas, which has an MS research center. My local neurologist really didn't know how to manage me without medication. That's all, you know, a lot of them know is to manage with meds. Um, so they he referred me to the specialist in Dallas who had heard about this, but didn't know a lot, certainly couldn't counsel me on it, but was willing to watch me again, just me being the guinea pig and we'll try it out and see what happens and um, talk about it in six months. So six months after my initial um, diagnosis and MRIs, my six months later MRIs um, side by side showed significant reduction in one of the larger lesions in my, lesions in my brain. Um, it had reduced almost to nothing. So it was significant regression, which the neurologist said he's never seen regression like that on, on a patient who wasn't medicated. So that was sort of his first um, hint that maybe there's something to this and, and you know, maybe I should watch, watch this a little closer. Um, and of course, for me and, and my husband and our family, it was it was confirmation that we had made the right choice and we're going down the right path. And I've been full on plant-based ever since and um, suffer little to no um, issues or recurrences with the disease. I mean, I, I still have it. I still have regular MRIs, but I don't have any relapses. I have um, very little uh, symptoms and I have energy and I'm still fully functioning. So it's been a, it's been a blessing to be introduced to this information personally and have the choice the power to to make an educated choice, um, and that's and, really and you say your passion you're, I have. Your local neurologist didn't know how to how to manage you given that choice. Did did your local neurologist try to talk you out of it? You know, um, well, largely, you know, if if they're not knowledgeable of it, they can't educate. They can't counsel you. They can't. Um, they can't give you any advice about something they don't know about. So he didn't 
he, he advised against it, but just because he didn't know anything about it, so he couldn't help me. That's why he referred me to the MS Research Center, which I'm glad he did, because they were at least open to watching and trying some new treatments if needed. We didn't have to go down that route. Um, but now I'm, I'm glad to say he's more on board and he's looking at it, and the 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 research center in Dallas is now actually um, incorporating this into their practice because they've had more patients since me that have done this and have seen um, impact. So they're doing a research study on their, on their patients now. Mm-hmm. Now you're, you know, you're a, a professional in the healthcare industry. So you probably knew that a diagnosis of MS was, was kind of a big deal. How, did you, did it throw you? It was, you know, you're, you're describing in terms of like, you know, praying and finding this and being grateful. But was, was there, was there a moment where you were just, you know, like flummoxed and terrified? Oh, yeah. oh of, of course, of course. You know, I've always been what I thought was relatively healthy. I exercised, I ate healthy, you know, my lean chicken breast and low carbs. And, you know, what I've been told my whole life was healthy. I worked at GNC when I was in college for years. So I read every fitness and health magazine you know, I, I lived what I thought was a healthy lifestyle. I wasn't overweight. Um, I was active. I'd never had any issues with blood pressure or cholesterol or anything like that. Um, so it, it did. It floored me that there could be this health issue that would crop up that I thought when I thought I was healthy. You know, I was a healthy young person who took care of myself. Um, and, and furthermore, to learn that this isn't just some you know, food-related illness that I thought, you know, something that I could prevent, but this was something that was deeper, that was progressive, that was sort of unseen and, you know, could have me in a wheelchair without me, you know, knowing it in a year or two. I mean, it was it was really scary. Um, if it wasn't for my faith, I'm not sure how I would have made it through it. You know, my husband and I did a lot of praying. I did a lot of crying on my knees and just looking for peace and understanding. And um, honestly, it was it was a spiritual breakthrough that gave me the peace to keep going no matter what the outcome would be and to know that I was going to be okay and that I had a bigger purpose than, um, than a prescription bat pad would be able to tell me, you know, my life couldn't be changed by, um, by this person who didn't know me and a prescription pad full of medications I'd never heard of. There was a deeper purpose that God was calling me to honestly. And that gave me sort of the faith and the peace to move forward and, and know it was going to be okay. And I really think that that was part of the divine intervention of me learning some of this information. Um, At the same exact time, it was sort of, this is the wisdom you need to move forward. And and this is what's going to help you get past this. And it certainly did. Hmm. And so, you know, it's impossible to talk about counterfactuals uh, factually, but um, it sounds like, you know, maybe if you hadn't uh, been diagnosed with MS, you wouldn't have jumped on board quite so uh, fully. With, yeah, I, I, I certainly believe that, you know, I if I believed in it and it made sense, I would have helped promote it and support it just like I would anything that was of value and um, important for our community. But I believe we have gone farther and faster and broader and wider because there are people like me that have been so personally impacted by the message 
and we realize more people have to know about this. You know, it can't just be the select few of us that get to um, hobnob with the professionals that are doing this internationally. Like everyone in our community should be able to have the power to choose and have this information at their fingertips. And I really became passionate to do whatever I could from my role, both professionally and personally. You know, we've started a, a local nonprofit here in Midland called Healthy City that's helping to use resources outside of the healthcare system where the model doesn't really make sense, um, but using all the passionate local people like myself to promote this message of health and healing, spread awareness of plant-based nutrition to our community, and work with our local grocery stores and restaurants and schools to create a culture of health and support for this type of way of eating and living. Um, so yeah, that, that personal connection certainly pushed me forward farther and faster and harder because I, more people should have this option. It shouldn't just be, you know, me or a couple other people. Yeah. And I'm, I'm wondering if you then became part of the marketing, right? So, yeah, we can, we can watch the movies and we can see the science and, you know, there, we can debate it, but here's Marcy who has accomplished pretty miraculous things through this lifestyle. Were there, were there people in the hospital or in the community who were watching you and saying, oh, well, I, I guess this is true because I don't understand how this is happening? I certainly think so. I, I, you know, the testimonies that we've shared, there's been more testimonies than my own, but certainly those that, you know, I work with on a regular basis that know me, that know I, you can't make this stuff up. Um, you know, you can't fudge the numbers on a, on a personal story. Um, I think that certainly allowed me to gain more support from those I was working with on a daily basis because they see my story and, and even more impactful, they see my MRIs. I mean, it's, it's pretty impressive when you see a side-by-side -side MRI of a lesion that's there and then it's essentially gone. Um, and this, this isn't a little thing to impact. These aren't like your cholesterol numbers. This, this, that's a huge thing to have lesions shrink in your brain because of nutrition and lifestyle. Um, for me, it just shows that, you know, um, our bodies have God's fingerprints of forgiveness and healing all over them. And if we just feed them the things we're meant to feed them, they can heal themselves and repair themselves. And you can see it in the, in the scans if you just let them. But, you know, those personal testimonies have, I think, really Im improved the, the speed of the movement here locally because you can't deny those stories. Mm. I love what you just said about, like, the fingerprints of forgiveness. Uh, I've, yeah. I've, never, I've never thought about sort of healing or remission as forgiveness. But of course, it, it totally is, right? If we, if we change, right, if we ask for forgiveness and then we keep doing the same thing, of course, it's not really, not right. really penitence. But, but uh, you know, making that change, even if we're not thinking about it, even if someone isn't, you know, spiritual or religious, but if they stop treating their body a certain way, it's like the, the cells of the body embody forgiveness through this yes. transformation. Yes, I'm, I'm a person of great faith, you know, and in my faith, you know, all it takes is to turn around from the direction you're heading if you're um, going in the wrong direction and there's instant forgiveness available to us and we can change our life in an instant if we just change our perspective and our focus and decide to do something different. And so when I saw what was happening in my body just by changing the direction from 
the same direction the whole world was heading to this different direction that was more of that narrow road, the road less traveled, um, but it didn't head for the edge. It didn't head for the edge of the cliff like everyone else. Um, it was amazing what my body was able to do. And after years and years of abuse and cheeseburgers and pizza and, you know, like an incredible amount of meat, you know, I was, I was a carnivore self-proclaimed that I couldn't have anything without meat. I mean, after years and years of abusing my body, it took just, you know, months for me to turn the direction and go back to, in my opinion, God's original design for food and nourishment. And my body forgave me, you know, the the disease that had been building over those years and I got to that tipping point, you know, suddenly went in remission and reversed and my cells and everything just went back in alignment with the way that my body was meant to, to operate. And it, I really think of it as just God's fingerprints of forgiveness on, on this creation. And it'll, it'll forgive you after years and years of abuse and, and just weeks sometimes your body will forgive you if you just stop abusing it. It's just, it's amazing and miraculous to me. So did you have moments of, as a self-proclaimed carnivore, when you first heard about this moments of resistance and, uh, you know, like, or, or were you just accepting of it the first moment you heard it? Well, at first, you know, it was, I needed to see more data and I needed more confidence in the information. Um, so, I mean, Dr. Greger's website, you know, nutritionfacts.org was a great resource because I could see everything that's been published and the Roy Stink Swank studies. And so that started, started to build my confidence in the information that it wasn't just some random study or thing that these hippies in Austin or wherever, you know, had come up with to try to, you know, um, turn everyone vegan, there was some significant data and information out there that had been around for years. Um, So as I started building that confidence and and getting more information, it became very clear that this was the answer and it was true and factual and I couldn't deny it intellectually. Um, And once I got to that point, it was easy for me to flip the switch. And my husband often tells a story and says, it's amazing how she just flipped the switch. And one day she just went completely plant-based. But after taking medication for a month and having this horrible diagnosis and being told I was going to be in a wheelchair and my hair is falling out and I'm exhausted and I can't take care of my kids and my hands are shaking as I'm trying to braid my daughter's hair. I mean, after a month of what disease really looks like in my life and how bad it can really get, um, the fact that I could change this and even reverse this by just changing my diet, that was an easy decision. Um, you know, it, 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 it wasn't hard at that point once I was convinced of the information. I, I literally flipped the switch and went completely plant-based, and, and it was before Thanksgiving. <laughs> um, just a couple of weeks before Thanksgiving, I showed up with my little veggie loaf and, and mashed potatoes and green beans because I didn't have a lot of recipes in my box at that point, and it didn't taste great, and I, you know, everything looked really good, but I knew I was doing the right thing, and there was no looking back at that point. Mm-hmm. And my last couple Thanksgivings, by the way, were phenomenal because now that I have access to, you know, Forks Over Knives and The Plant Pure Nation and Kristen Stoll's book, I mean, I've got all these great recipes and there's so many more out there. And, you know, I had I had a feast the last couple of Thanksgivings, a plant-based feast. So I'm no longer, um, you know, walking in with my head hanging low on my little tiny, you know, container of three items. And, you know, there's just as much wonderful, delicious food I enjoy today as I did back then. It just took a, it took a time to get there. Right. And that's, 
that's so important, though, that it, you, you need to be okay with making lentil loaf and mashed potatoes and a boring salad for a while <laughs> until, until right. you, you know, un, like there's so many people who, who want to replace their, you know, carnivorous, omnivorous lifestyle with something of equal, you know, skill and yumminess right away. And that, that, mm-hmm. that doesn't seem realistic unless you've got the cash to, you know, to pay someone to make it for you. Well, yeah, and even then, I mean, your taste buds have to change. The the salt, sugar, fat, you know, quandary that we're in in America where everything is pumped so full in high concentrations of these things, that's just not you can't you can't sustain that even in vegan foods or you're just going to stay unhealthy, you know, you have to get to where you're cutting back or eliminating a lot of the salt, most of the sugar, um, or at least the processed sugar, definitely, and and all the added fats and oils. And that doesn't taste the same as your taste buds are accustomed to. And it takes time to change, but they do change. You know, I remember, you know, after about a month of eating this way, I started tasting flavors and vegetables I had, hadn't tasted in a long time or maybe even ever, at least that I didn't remember. I mean, just the salt and the tomatoes and the sugar and the carrots, you just, your taste buds start exploding with the flavors of the foods you're eating once you um, stop burning them with salt, sugar, and fat so much, and you can actually taste the food again. That's it just right. takes time. Yeah. So now, so the hospital has, has really jumped on board with the, with the community, with all these efforts. So what's different now for, let's say, the average patient who comes in and who's got, you know, elevated cholesterol or high blood pressure or, you know, prediabetes or, you know, has just been diagnosed. Like when, you know, when you said you, you were first diagnosed with MS, your uh, neurologist didn't know what to do with you except put you on the standard meds. Are, are there different protocols now at the hospital and, and uh, affiliated providers for talking with patients about lifestyle versus, you know, best best medical practices? Yeah, so I, I think the first and the most important thing is uh, just within this movement internationally is just public education. Uh, more people need to be aware of this information because it's easier to in, in, inform and influence an individual about the impact of their own health than it is to get into a, a doctor who has years of education and, and information behind his belt. And this is going to be a huge shift in the way that he practices medicine. So these food is medicine events that we do here locally will have 500 people show up. And, you know, a large majority of them leave empowered as an individual um, to take control of their own health. And that means going to their doctor's offices and saying, hey, I heard this information and, you know, I want to learn more. And if you don't know more, can you can you refer me to someone who does? So so individual information and empowerment, I think, is a big part of this movement. It's, it's going to take more and more individuals to take ownership of their own health um, and stop um, delegating their health to physicians and, and hospitals, expecting them to make them healthy. But we've got to take ownership of our own health and our own lives again um, and and be aware of these things. And so then, do, you, do you teach you know, people how to do that? Because, you know, the, I, I, I imagine there's certain generations, you know, maybe they're they're getting old now and but, you know, we still kind of put doctors on a little bit of a pedestal and, and doctors, you know, spend decades learning unimaginable amounts of things. It, it seems like it would it would take a lot of courage to say to your doctor, hey, I want to do something that you may not approve of or not know anything about. How do, how do you help people with that? Yes. So I think that was certainly the struggle at first. But um 
but I think what's helped us here locally is that we have so many physicians, known physicians that are supportive of this movement that are also very well educated, that have the years of, of education behind their belt that can reinforce these messages and support them. Um, and what I was going to mention earlier is community awareness is is really important because you're going to reach more people informing people directly than through the physician offices. But our the next phase that we really focused on was is, has been uh, physician education awareness, PAs, NPs, dietitians, making sure more of them are aware of the information. Um, and then a really important resource we have locally is that we opened up a lifestyle medicine center and clinic last fall. So now there's actually a resource with a physician, um, Dr. Padmasha Patel, one of the leaders of this movement, um, who practices a clinic within the lifestyle medicine center. We have the Ornish program that we offer there, the CHIP program. So now there's actually a referral source that people can send their patients to with respected physicians that work there um, if they want guidance on how to get off their meds or, or they want to lower their medication or do more plant-based nutrition. So we actually have that resource set up in our community. But again, the physicians may not tell people about that initially. It takes sort of the people's knowledge and information and awareness to ask their physicians and the physicians can do a referral to Lifestyle Medicine Center. We have about 20 physicians now locally that are actually supportive and promoting plant-based nutrition and lifestyle medicine in their practices here locally, which is great because, you know, your physician may not support this, but it's not hard to find one that does that can either guide your physician or your physician can refer you to, or if nothing else, for me, just to be able to speak with a physician that you respect and that's educated, that can give you confidence that this is the right thing. This is true and, and valid information. Um, you know, because for me, you know, we do respect physicians, but that doesn't mean, you know, if one physician tells you he doesn't know anything about it and he can't give you information and he doesn't know if the, the data is valid, if you have another physician you speak to that is completely supportive and can back up the information with data and research and articles, I mean, that's good enough to give the person the confidence to look further or ask for a referral. Um, that's certainly what happened with me. You know, my physician didn't know anything about it, but I was able to speak with others that did, and, and they gave me the confidence to, to move forward and, and be more of an advocate in my own health care. Now, I, I don't want to be cynical, but I do want to talk okay. about money. And yes, that's so important. That's the elephant in the room in all this, right? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, like there are a lot of hospitals that, quite frankly, are kind of held hostage to their expensive purchases of, yeah. right, of diagnostic equipment, of, of expensive, you know, surgical tools, of, you know, the, how, how, did, how did Midlands, is it, is it just that you have such a progressive uh, an affluent donor base that you were able to buck this or like, like is Midlands, um, you know, a, a purple cow that doesn't exist anywhere else or can any hospital system do this and still stay in business? It depends. Um, what has been our secret, at least here in our community is we have a self-insured, um, uh, insurance policy here at the hospital. We, we go at risk for our employees. So the sicker our employees are, the more it costs us. 
So that was an easy way to justify the promotion of plant-based nutrition and lifestyle medicine, this more efficient, cheaper, effective form of healthcare um, on our own population and prove some type of return on investment. So that's really where we started. We started with our cafeteria. We started with... Um, you know, with our education, with the CHIP program, with our own employees, because our benefit costs were through the roof, like many other organizations, because that's the way healthcare spending is going in America. Um, so we realized if we could at least promote this to our own employee population, since we're a self-insured benefit plan, and we could reduce some of our benefit costs by reducing medication usage or visits to the doctor or the ED or MRI usage, then we could track some type of return on investment on this. So that's where we started was impacting our own population. And healthcare workers are really sick. <laughs> they, are, they work long hours. They don't take a lot of breaks. Um, they're very stressed. So they're some of the sickest of our population are our own employees. So that was a place to start. Also, since we are a, um, a not-for-profit um, government healthcare system, we are the safety net hospital in our community, um, Focusing on our uninsured and underinsured population in our community also helps us tie some type of return on investment because we um, have millions of dollars in charity care that we have to write off every year because we see everyone in our community regardless of their ability to pay. So if we can target those that are uninsured or underinsured and deliver them, you know, this message of health and healing and how they can take better care of themselves, and that's another area. Not all hospitals or health systems may be not-for-profit. If you're for-profit, then I'm not sure that that model would work. And if you're not self-insured, if you contract that out and you don't go at risk to your employees, then that argument not, may not work. So that's why I say if, if they're set up like us, then at least getting your putting your toes in the water and getting started by focusing on the populations you go at risk for as far as health care costs, um, that's a great place to start that anyone can start at as long as you go at risk, you know, financially for these people, and it's in your be it's um, in your best interest to make them healthy. Um, on the other side, it's not really the expensive equipment that hangs up our health system. It's the the reimbursement model that's set up right now. I mean, the government is calling us to be. Um, to move towards population health management we, where we are doing more effective and efficient health care and more preventative health care. So it's more of the um, you know, value-based care. But the repayment models aren't set up that way yet. The, the, the insurance companies and the Medicare and all that isn't set up to reimburse us based on value-based care largely. It's mostly still set in a fee-for-service environment. So although we're being told we need to do more of this stuff, and this is really the future of healthcare because it's the only way it's sustainable, the payment models aren't set up that way. So you are penalized by making people healthier because we're essentially in a sick care business still today, not a healthcare business. So that's the challenge that we face that I'm sure a lot of health systems face. The reason why we are probably more aggressive on trying to find creative and innovative ways to move past that is because it's just built into our mission and our vision. You know, if we're going to be the leaders of healthcare in our community, um, we have to take that torch and, and lead people in, in the right direction of what true healthcare is. And if we're going to be the healthiest community in Texas, there's no way we can do that without empowering individuals to take back control of their health and improve their health and not just um, outsource their health to the physician's office, the medication, the hospital, because that's too expensive and, and no one can pay for that. 
So when you ask if we're their purple cow, um, like I said, there's some unique things about us maybe, but there's some things that I'm sure there's the commonalities between other healthcare systems. Um, our mission and our vision probably has helped us justify this movement most over the past few years. You know, we're not we're not in the business to make a profit. We're, we, you know, we're just trying to break even and, and keep the doors open. But our our mission is really to improve people's health and not make money off sick care. So, well, what about what about like individual physicians? Like, you know, I know uh, Dr. Caldwell Esselstyn has had a lot of, you know challenging conversations at, at, uh, at the Cleveland Clinic. And mm-hmm. a lot of it is around, you know, our, our stents and bypass surgery are our cash cows, you know, not mm-hmm. necessarily just, not just for the hospital, but for individual doctors who perform those operations. Um, are the, you know, are there medical professionals on staff who are going to be making less money by focusing on lifestyle medicine? The way that the payment model is set up today, yes, that's the problem, is that we get paid on, we're still in a fee-for-service environment. We still get paid more based on the more stuff that we do, assuming that those people are insured. Again, if we're talking about populations we go at risk for, like our employees and our uninsured or underinsured populations, it's the reverse. We want them to use less healthcare services because they, they can't pay for it, and we end up picking up the tab. So, um so if we can make those people that we go at risk for healthier, then, you know, that benefits everyone. They're healthier and, and their cost of care is cheaper. So that makes sense. But, yes, if you're an insured person and you can pay your health care bill um, in today's fee-for-service fee environment, health care institutions make more money off you if you're diabetic, you know, or even have heart disease or you're coming back for routine surgeries. So then it just becomes an ethical question. And that's what some of our physicians have come up to, you know, had to come to terms with, you know, yeah, you know, like Dr. Dr. Autry, like I said, he's a cardiothoracic surgeon. Um, He makes money off of doing procedures, yet he is actively encouraging people to change their lifestyle so they don't have to have a procedure done. I mean, that's totally against his business model, um, but he is personally and passionately driven because he's had patients that have completely changed their life, avoided open heart surgery, regained their quality of life um, through this message. And that, you know, he's just passionate about sharing that with people. I know Dr. Kim Williams um, that, uh, from Rush University, he was just in town doing our food as medicine conference. And he said the same thing. He's one of the busiest um, got one of the busiest cardiology programs, yet they, they're, they're losing money because their patients are so healthy, and it just doesn't make sense in the current environment for that kind of business model. So um, it's really up to us that are passionate about this and that want to make the ethical decision to keep pushing forward because it's the right thing to do and people need to know this, but we have to find a way to pay for it. And if we sit around and wait for you know, the powers that be to create some new system or structure um, that's going to work, I, I think we'll all be sitting around a really, really long time. We, well, well, we're we, going to take we're, every one of us to be creative and innovative and come up with the solutions ourselves. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're seeing the, the current system, you know, crashing down around our ankles, right? Like, mm-hmm. we, we, you know, with, with all the, the political discussions of it, it clearly is a failing system. What can, you know, individual hospitals and individual people, like, what, what, what needs to change that's possible to change. I know we all could, you know, like wish on fairy dust and say, I wish Medicare and Medicaid would go to value-based versus fee-for-service. But what, what are some low-hanging fruit 
that we can all agitate for at whatever level to, to start making this um, lifestyle medicine a reality for people? Um, well, like I mentioned, if, from a healthcare administrator perspective, if you can identify any people groups that you go at risk for and help them become healthier, it's a win-win. Um, it's less cost out of your pocket, and then they are a healthier person with a better quality of life. Um, beyond that, if you're talking about payers, uh, payer relationships, I mean, we really have to start on the front end of those because if you're cutting down cost over a long period of time, you can't go to the payer and say, hey, you know, we've cut down the cost of care. Can you give us a discount? Because it, that doesn't, they're, they're, they're not going to be open to that. You've got to start those conversations with payers that are open to it on the front end and say, if we work on this using this proven protocol um, and reduce cost of care, then can we have some type of a, a shared savings agreement? I think the other option is really working with your, you know, from a healthcare system perspective, working with your local business groups, um, um, whether it's local businesses or, or county organizations or school districts or whatever it would be that you have relationships with and come up with your own shared savings agreement. You know, if we use this evidence-based model and reduce your own employee health care costs like we have ours by this much, then we can share those savings as part of some you know, mutually beneficial agreement. I mean, I think you'll you'll have to see more of those local-based contractual arrangements um, around this idea of true health care start taking place before anything's going to move nationally. Honestly, I think our communities, um, community members, healthcare workers, whomever it would be, need to start understanding that the way that the current model is set up, insurance pays for sick care. If you're insured, then your sick care is completely, you know, will be covered to some extent. If you want true health care, the current insurance model does not support health care. So if you really want to look at lifestyle medicine as it, you know, under the health care umbrella, and you want to work towards becoming healthier and getting off medications and avoiding surgeries and procedures, you're probably going to have to be prepared to pay out of pocket for those services. You're going to have to be prepared to pay for ca pay cash for those services because that's, that's sort of how we're having to do it locally. You know, you can go through the traditional healthcare system model and, um, you know, we can file those things with insurance. But if you really want to do some of these more progressive um, versions of health care and lower your medication usage and avoid surgeries, then some of those services are, are cash-based and you just have to be prepared for that. You know, you may have to pay $250 out of pocket, um, but if it means eliminating, you know, three of your medications down the road that cost you $15,000 a year, then the cost you know, is worth the benefit you get. And we as individual consumers of healthcare are just going to have to come to terms with that. You know, I'm going to have to pay more. I can't just assume the insurance company is going to pay for my healthcare anymore because they don't pay for healthcare. They pay for sick care. If I want healthcare, I need to save up for that doctor's visit or that counseling session with my doctor, just like I save up for a new pair of shoes or a new car or a down payment on a new house. I mean, we have to start thinking of our health care in terms of something that we're going to own and take responsibility for and be willing to save up for and pay for if if we really want to take that path, that that other path of true health care and disease reversal. So that that's the best advice I would give an individual um, if, if you, at least you're in a community where these things are offered it's going to be more upfront cash payments until the, the system starts right. changing. 
So you, you say you got very involved with Nelson Campbell, with the whole Plant Pure Nation movement. What, what in your opinion, is, has been the significance of, of that and other plant-based lifestyle medicine grassroots movements? I think it's it's been beneficial just to have sort of this national model and resources in place. I know he's had the pods that have been set up in different communities that have created sort of this this culture and this social society, which social support is so big in this type of a movement because a lot of times you are living in, you know, very counterculturally and, and swimming upstream and against the grain and all that. And you really need groups of people that you can get together with on a regular basis that can support you and share testimonies and encourage you. Um, so the, I know the pods have been effective for that. We've had um, something similar to that here locally. We do monthly community meals where people get together and, and share plant based meals. So I think the ideas that he has as far as the community support, um, certainly the frozen foods that he's come up with. I mean, no one really was doing that when he started. There's been a few other companies that come up since then, but I think his is still pretty affordable comparably. Um, That's been a great resource for some of our employees that have tried to switch and maybe they're single or they don't cook every night and they need something easy that's sort of a plug and play to start making changes. Um, so, so some of the meals and resources that he's, that um, Plant Pure Nation has come up with has been very helpful. And then obviously all the information, the, the films, the, the books, um, the cookbooks, you know, are, are so important. So I think just having those resources available um, from a national perspective has have been really helpful. Gotcha. And what's on the horizon for this coming year? Any, any special initiatives or efforts? Yes. So, so our Lifestyle Medicine Center opened last fall. So that is just sort of kicking off and beginning to grow. Um, We're growing our Ornish um, program that we have there. We're getting more and more physicians on board with the message and educated. We're trying to get more and more of our dietitians educated on board. Um, Healthy City, which is the nonprofit that I mentioned, it's supported by our hospital, but it's also supported by the other two hospitals in our area. Um, They continue to grow. And in fact, we just did the Food is Medicine conference here in um, Midland last week, and we had several people from other counties in Texas drive up that want to copy the model that we've done here in their communities. So there's discussions in place on how to um, to um, to spread the the nonprofit model for Healthy City that we've created here into other communities, so they can start sort of that same grassroots effort that's in a very structured fashion um, from a, a nonprofit board setting. So we'll be working with them on that. Um, and I think we just we have a lot of discussions ahead of us as a healthcare institution because we know that this is this is the direction that is supported by our mission and our vision statement, and this is the direction that we're heading, but we still have to find a way to fund our continuing activities and efforts in this area. So there's going to be lots of, I'm sure, creative, innovative sessions scheduled where we're kind of talking through those types of shared savings agreements, like I'd mentioned, or partnerships with local businesses and how we can make this work and sustainable. Um, And then lots of just education to our community, like I said, where people may just have to 
come to that fork in the road where, you know, if you want to use your insurance to pay for health care, you got to realize what insurance covers. And if you want to go towards um, a more preventative lifestyle medicine approach until the insurance companies change their model, you may have to pay um, out of pocket for some of these types of services and counseling from physicians. And that's so sort of large scale community education um, that we'll have to really help push out over the next year. But I feel like we've only scratched the surface. There's so much more we want to do. There's so much more we can do. We've got more and more people in our community that are on fire about this, more and more restaurants that we're starting to work with from the Healthy City nonprofit perspective to convert their menus. Um, so it's it's exciting. It's just, it's um, it's it, you know, a lot of uncertainty, and, and we're just sort of paving the way as we move forward. <laughs> mm. Well, it sounds like you're at you're at the center of a of a really powerful seismic shift. That uh, mm-hmm. looks it looks like you know Texas is getting involved, um, and I and I love the fact that it's the you know what you describe as sort of the pioneer and progressive and can do restless spirit that created you know arguably like two of the industries that are you know threatening life on this planet you know oil and gas mm-hmm. and and uh, animal agriculture, that, that that same spirit is morphing and evolving into solutions to those very problems. Yes. It's finding a healthy balance in our community where we can support both. It's interesting. We have a large um, uh, ranch ranching family that is one of a big supporters of our Healthy City event um, because they can't deny the data in their own personal lives. So, you know, they've made money off ranching, but they realize that, you know, plant-based nutrition has been um, so impactful in their own health and the health of their family. So, you know, we're, we're constantly looking for that balance and how to gracefully coexist, you know, with with truth and grace. And, um, I mean, we want to remain progressive and and profitable and, and sustainable in our, our, our different missions, but we will be working to find that, that, the healthy balance here locally. Right. And uh, yeah, it speaks, it speaks to a kind of a, a welcoming ethos. I haven't heard, you know, a, a whiff of a hint of judgment from you in this, in this entire conversation. And I think that probably goes a long way to, uh, to why it's being uh, propagated throughout the community. It seems like you have a very sort of generous, matter-of-fact, and welcoming message. Well, grace is an undeniable, undeniably necessary quality when it comes to this movement. Um, You have to have grace and you have to have patience. You know, that was one thing I could say about the Autrys. You know, they, it wasn't an immediate change when they came back from that conference. It took, it took some persistence and it took some patience. Um, And it definitely takes grace to move this forward because when you're dealing with one of the largest addictions that are public and um, acceptable and legal that people are facing, when you start presenting them with data and information that's causing them to pause or question their lifestyle, you got to have patience and you got to have grace and be gentle, or you're just going to run people off and give them more of a reason to not listen to you. Beautiful. Great, great words to end with. Marcy Madrid, I'm so impressed with the work that you and everyone um, that you're, that you're working with have done. Um, I'm, you know, honored to, to be able to share this with the world um, if someone is listening to this and they are part of a hospital system or a community, 
and they're like, boy, I would like to find out a little bit more about what they know. Is there a, is there a way, is there a, a wiki or a, a way for people to, um, you know, to, to, aside from the food is medicine conference, for people to come and like steal all your best ideas? Well, you can certainly go to our website, midlandhealth.org. My information's on there. Some of our community outreach activities are on there. Um, I believe we have a, a page dedicated to lifestyle medicine, our lifestyle medicine center, um, you know, some of the different things that we do in our hospital. And I believe there's also a, a link to Healthy City, um, our, our local nonprofit that we work with. It's our Healthy City. Dot com, but it's linked on our page too. So either of those websites can get you a wealth of information um, as well as contacts to people like me that can help guide you through or give you some tips and tricks. Not that we have it all figured out, but we're moving forward as, as, as easy, as best as we can. Right. We've got, we've got to crowdsource everything that we do figure out, right? We've got, mm-hmm. we've got, we've got to propagate it and share it. Uh, yes. So, uh, well, Marcy, thank you again. Um, yeah. I wish you the, the best of luck for, uh, for for being part of this vanguard. A lot of eyes are, are upon you and upon Midland Health and, uh, and the community. And uh, so uh, thanks again. Yeah, thanks for having me. I've enjoyed it. Boy, I hope you got as much out of that conversation as I did, not least the hope and the delight that there's a whole system out there, a whole medical system that is flexing its muscles and showing us a different way to do business. This is not just fringe, marginal stuff in the corners, in the shadows. This is mainstream pushing ahead to create an entirely new paradigm of community health care. And I'm so grateful to Marcy for her personal contributions and for representing Midland Health so beautifully. So if you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to support the mission of the podcast the most important thing you could do is leave a review on iTunes. And of course, it's the cheapest thing because it doesn't cost anything and it could just take you a couple of minutes. If you're not sure how, check out plantyourself.com slash review. For more information about WellStart Health and the Big Change Program, you can visit wellstarthealth.com. And be sure to check out the show notes for today's episode with links to a bunch of the stuff we talked about at plantyourself.com slash 27. Five. If you're new to this show, you can catch up on 274 archived episodes over at plantyourself.com. Ooh, that was weird how I just said that. Dot com. Let me try that again. At plantyourself.com. That's a little more normal. Okay, so in garden news, this episode is brought to you by the letters blueberries, pesto, and green smoothies. Um, Not much else is happening yet. We got a whole bed of soybeans, but apparently the deer and the rabbits enjoy them before they get to the point where we can actually taste them. And uh, just to let you know, it's in in the uh, high 90s and almost hundreds here. It's not even summer yet. So we went out and bought an above ground pool. Actually, it's not so much of a pool as, well, it's it's actually a, a black plastic stock tank, 110 gallons, which is used to, uh, you know, water cattle and, and horses. But uh, we fill it with cold water and jump in and splash around a little bit. Um, and then we use it to water the garden. So uh, it may not look like the lap of luxury, but it sure feels like it to us when we can get uh, 65 degree water on a 100 degree day. So in running news, um, I got a different sport that I'm working for towards right now, going to uh, the ultimate Frisbee Nationals in Chicago. That's in the end of July, I think the 20th to the 22nd. I'll be going with our local 
North Carolina triangle team triaged or tri-aged, as I like to think of it. So doing a lot of sprints, a lot of challenging cardio to help get me ready for those long, hot games uh, against some of the best teams in the country. Okay, time for the thanks. Thanks, of course, to Will Ridenauer for allowing me to use Sabali Don, the Dance of Peace, as the theme music for this show. You can find more of his music at willridenauer.com. And thanks to all you Plant Yourself podcast patrons. Got a new one this week. So if you listen to the very end, you'll hear her name. Kim Harrison, the McClellan, Anthony Disson, Brittany Porter, Dominic Mauer, Barbara Whitney, Tammy Black, Amy Good, Amanda Hatherley, Mary Jean Wheeler, Ellen Kennelly, Melissa Cobb, Rachel Burns, Christine Nielsen, Tina Sharp, Dean Ahern, John Blakonofsky, David Bysak, The Mysterious, Michelle X, Elizabeth Feld, Victoria Dole, Manova, Leah Strollo, Alan Christensen, Colleen Peck, Michelle Andrew, Josina, Julianne Roland, Stu Dolnick, Sarah Durkis, Martha Circus, Kelly Cameron, Wayne Pedersen, Leanne Peterson, Janet Selby, Claire Adams, Tom Franzik, Jeanette Benham, Gila, Sarah David Donnie, Blair Cyber, Dorona Vizov, Gio and Carolyn, Martin Toddy, Jody Friedman, Ruth and Thunderbrook, Misha Rosen, Michael Warbeck, the equally mysterious Tracy Z. Alicia Lemus, Rebecca Hughes, Val Lindemann, Rhymes with Cinnamon, Nick Harper, Stephanie Holmes, Martha Burton, Rickle Ramsey, Susan Ahmad, Molly Levine, Inscrutable Harry R., Susan Laverty, The Panda Vegan, Craig Kovic, Adam Sharp, Karen Burry, Heather Morgan, Ashley Corker, and Kelly Machia, Dean Norton, Bonnie Lynch, and Plant Happy Organs, Sabine Kurtzels, Nigel Davies, Marion Blum, Theresa Copel, Shell Ruthless, Julian Watkins, Breed O'Connell, Brian Sheridan, Shannon Hirschman, Kate Roseland, Diat, Julie Langholm, Hedegaard, Isa Tuzin, Wakani, Hayland, Aaron Greer, Alicia Davis, Aviva Lael, Heather O'Connor, Carolyn Jensen, Cherry Olakoski, of Plant Power for Health, Karen Smith, Scott Mirani, Karen and Joe Crabdy, Tanya Lewis, Kirby Burton, Teresa Carell. Kevin McCauley, Elizabeth Rothschild, Kelly Baker, Miracle, and Jesse Cheryl Dwyer, Jenny Hazelton, Valerie Peltier, Peter W. Evans, Colleen Harrison, Justine Divot, Joshua Summermeyer, Dennis Bird, and Darby Kelly for your generous support of the podcast. That's it for this week. As always, be well, my friends. time for thanks. Thanks to Will Ridenauer for allowing me to use his beautiful song Sabali Dawn, The Dance of Peace. You can find more of Will's music at his website, willridenauer.com. And of course, thanks to all of you Plant Yourself podcast patrons. Kim Harrison, Lynn McClellan, Anthony Disson, Brittany Porter, Dominic Mara, Barbara Whitney, Tammy Black, Amy Good, Amanda Hatherley, Mary Jean Wheeler, Ellen Kennelly, Melissa Cobb, Rachel Behrens, Christine Nielsen, Tina Sharp, Tina Ahern, Jen Filkonofsky, David Bizek, The Mysterious, Michelle X, Elspeth Feldman, Leah Stoller, Alan Christensen, Colleen Peck, Michelle Andrews, Josina, Sarah Durkis, Rhymes with Circus, Kelly Cameron, Wayne Pedersen, Janet Selby, Care Adams, Tom Franzek, Jeanette Benham, Gila Sarah, David Donahue, Blair Cyber, Toronto Vizo, Gio and Carol Argitati, Jody Friesner, Ruth Ann Thunderbrook, Misha Rosen, Michael Warbeck. The equally mysterious Tracy Z of Eva Lael, Alicia Lemus, Rebecca Hughes, Val Lineman, Rhymes with Cinnamon, Nick Harpers and Martha Bergner, Susan Amon, Molly Levine, the inscrutable Harry R., Susan Laverty, the Panda Vegan, Craig Kovic, Adam Sharp, Karen Burry, Heather Morgan, Kelly Machia, Deanne Norton, Bonnie Lynch, the Plant Happy Oregon, Sabina Kurtzels, Nigel Davies, Marion Blum, Teresa Copel, Julian Watkins, Breed O'Connell, Shannon, Hirsch, Shannon Hirschman, Linda Ayat, Holm Hedegaard, Isa Tuzumak, Connie Hainline, Aaron Greer, Alicia Davis. Heather O'Connor, Carolyn Jensen, Sherry Olakoski of Plant Powered for Health, Karen Smith, Scott Morani, Karen and Joe Crabtree, Tanya Lewis, Kirby Burton, Teresa Carell, Kevin McCauley, Elizabeth Rothschild, and Jesse, Cheryl Dwyer, Jenny Hazelton, Valerie Peltier, Peter W. Evans, Colleen Harrison, Justine Divid, Joshua Summermeyer, Dennis Bird, Darmy Kelly, Laurie Fanny, Linnea Lundquist, Valerie Hummel, Emily Iaconelli, Levy Wallach, Rosamund McEntee, Dan McCorney, Stephen Lehman. Patty D. Martino, Mike and Donna Cartson, Deanne Bishop, Bill Brielf, Gunter Schmidt, Marjorie Lewis, Kelly Molden, Trisha Adams, Ian Kramer, Nancy Sheldon, Lindsay Bashford, Gunmarie Hagen, Tracy Gullis, Laura Heaton, Meg from Mama Says, Rochelle Kennedy, Diana Goldman, Stacey Stokes, Ben Savage, Michael Kay, Holly Butler, Diana, David Hughes, Connie Rogers, Claire England, Sally Robertson, Parham Ganchi, Amy Daly, Brian Tourville, Mark Jeffrey Johnson, Josie Dempsey, Karen Schmidt. 
Pamela Hayden, Emily Perryman, Olga Sidoroska, Allison Corbett, Richard Stone, Lauren Vaught of Edible Musings, Aaron Hasty, Sean Owen, Sagar Nayak, Erica Piedra, and Danielle Roberts for your generous support of the podcast. That's it for today. As always, be well, my friends. <laughs>